in our men's lunch, we started about, it's about 20 weeks ago, we started looking at great men of the Bible, uh, pulling out some days of their life, not really a, a, an exhaustive study of those guys, but pulling out some days of their life. Uh, we've looked at four of, of the great men of the Bible, looked at their life, looked at how God dealt with them and dealt through them. Uh, today, we're going to come to the conclusion of our look at the life of King David. This is our fifth week. Uh, looking at King David, next week we're going to start the life of Paul, a very awesome life. Again, five weeks looking at that. But this week uh, we come to the last week, the fifth week in our study of the life of King David. So far we've pulled out five, four big events, uh, really huge events for us to look at in his life. And then, and then we saw how that fits uh, what God's telling us, teaching us today. Well, again, as we come to the conclusion of, of King David, the most profound thing about this guy is that God actually calls him in his word a man after his own heart. And he doesn't say that of anybody else, but he calls David a man after his own heart. Well, as we've moved through these accounts, uh, I, I think as I'm preparing uh, how awesome that is, number one, but second, what would it take for us to be called men after God's own heart. And I read the account. He was a man just like us. He had a beginning just like us. He sinned. He messed up just like us. And yet he's called a man after God's own heart. What would it involve for us to be called? What would it require for us to be called the same title, a man after God's own heart? Now, let me tell you, I don't really think anything could be better than to have lived your life Go through the course of your days and get all the way to the end of your life. And for people to say, you know what, that guy right there, that guy, he lived for the glory of God. Not only that, he brought great glory to God. Not that they didn't sin, not that they didn't mess up, but their life pointed great glory to God. Nothing could be better than for it to be said. You know what, their heart looked like the heart of the God that we serve. Well, today uh, we're going to see some things as we, as we wrap this up. Uh, if, you, if you think about the context of this, we have seen the beginning of King David, and, and I think that's pretty interesting, his unlikely selection to be the king. Uh, he came from a family of sheep herders. Uh, they raised sheep. They raised livestock. That was their livelihood. Uh, they were not royalty. Uh, they didn't have a great education. They didn't have some high esteem that they would say, you know what, that family over there, they're, they're the family in waiting. Uh, they were very unlikely, least likely. And then out of that family, the least likely is David. In fact, his own dad said, you know what, look at the older brother and look at the next to oldest brother and then the guy after him. He was the least likely of, of an unlikely family. And yet God says, you know what, I'll weigh the heart. I've made my decision and I've selected him as king. Uh, from there, as we move through his life, we see his great deeds uh, a, a great act of faith that he goes and he defeats Goliath. Uh, he knows the God that he serves and he goes and in, in that confidence he defeats Goliath. Uh, he becomes the king. He is, he is honorable in, in that. He becomes the king and he leads Israel to, to really tremendous greatness. He leads them to defeat their enemies. Uh, he brings them finally to peace and prosperity as, as a country. Uh, they bring the ark to Jerusalem. They set up the capital city, and, and it is a great life. He, is, he has honored God, and he has done tremendous things, and there's peace in the land, and the kingdom is prosperous, and, and it really seems like a, a tremendous life. And then we see he fails. Uh, he enters into great sin. 
he lies, he cheats, he commits adultery, he has, has a guy killed even, he hides in his sin, and you wonder, how did this guy that had such a, a knowledge of God and an understanding of God, how did he end up in such a terrible location? And we see his life really wrecked by sin. And then as you, as you move out of that, you see that he suffers the consequence for sin. That, that he, you know, he, may, he may get right with God, but there's consequences for sin. And you see, honestly, the rest of his life, he has to deal with the repercussions, the consequences of his sin. In all of that, I, I think we see the key to his life is not that he sins. Sometimes we think, well, the end should have been there. It's what he does after he sins. And remember, uh, the last time we met, we looked at Psalm 51. And I think there's a very profound thing there. And that is this. When he sins, he admits his sin. He calls sin, sin. He doesn't say, you know what, I need to blame somebody else. You know what, I, I want to call it something else. Well, you don't know how it is at my house. He agrees with God about his sin. He confesses his sin and he turns to God for the remedy for his sin. Psalm 51 is the account of that. Now, I want you to hear that very carefully. He looks to God for the remedy for his sin. He doesn't say, well, I'm about to do some more great things. I'm about to work this off. You catch me in the second half of my life and I'm going to do great things. He looks to God for the remedy for his sin. Oh God, my sin is ever before me and it's you against that I have sinned. And, and he prays looking to God for the remedy for his sin. Let me, let me tell you this. Our hope today is to look to God for the remedy for our sin. If you're here and you think, you know, I'm about to get, I'm about to get strong willpower and I'm going to do better and I'm going I'm to not go back to these same old things. Listen, our hope and our answer is to do what David did and look to God for the remedy for our sin. We always want to have wisdom. Let me tell you when you have wisdom. You have wisdom when you've learned to look to God for the remedy for your sin. That's when you have wisdom. We want to have peace. Man, I got enough crud and stress in my life. We want to have peace. Let me tell you, you will find peace when you look to God for the remedy for your sin. And you will not find peace outside of that. I think the key to David is he always knew where to go back to. I think the reason God says he's a man after my own heart is he knew when the thing had blown all the way up and he stands in sin to turn and to look to God for the remedy for his sin. I want, I want you to be sure before we wrap this up today, I want you to hear this. Wherever you're at today, whatever you've done today, whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, whatever thing you think you've hidden and nobody knows about that thing, whatever you find yourself at today, the answer is this. You look to God for the remedy for your sin. There is peace and there is forgiveness and there is hope. You look to God for the remedy for your sin. All right, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. But here, to me, this is the craziest thing of the whole thing. He, he defeats the Goliath. That's an amazing thing. He, he expands the kingdom. That's an awesome thing. Here's the craziest thing in the life of David, and this is how we're going to wrap it up. From this man who looks to God for the remedy for his sin and through this man who looks to God for the remedy for his sin will actually come the final remedy for sin from God, our hope, Jesus Christ. Now, that's the craziest thing. Through this life, through David, through his lineage, we're actually going to arrive at the hope for sinners, 
Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to stay with me. We're going to travel through some verses, and we're going to see the faithfulness of God in these verses. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. I'm going to read that. God makes a covenant with David. David gets toward the end part of his life. He says, you know what? I want to build a, a temple for you. I want to build a place of honor for you. And God says, you know what? You've, you've killed too many people. Literally what he says. Uh, you can't do that, but your son will do that. At this point, God makes a promise with David, a covenant with David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Now listen to this. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. This is his message to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. Listen to this. Unlikely guy. I, I didn't take you from some, some palace somewhere. I took you from the pasture. From following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. This guy that worked out there watching the sheep, I've been with you, I haven't left you, and I will make your name as great as any man that's ever walked this earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares that, that the Lord will make a house for you when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers when you die. I will raise up from you a descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He says when you're dead and when you're gone, there will be another king and it will come. he will come from your house. He shall build a house for my name. He's going to build the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. His throne, his kingdom will last forever. Forever. That's a tremendous thing. Not for, for, for 200 years, not for 500 years. Forever his kingdom will last. And I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, sin, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness, my mercy, shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Here's the, here's the thing, verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. America's lasted a couple hundred years. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. We, we think that's security. Listen, he says your throne will last forever. He tells David, your throne will last forever. That's his promise. He makes that promise. Now, let me read you the first part of the answer to that promise. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 28. Now, follow with me. Then he died. In a ripe old age. Here's this guy, and he started off as a young guy. First time we find him, he's about 14 years old. Here's this guy, and he walks with God. Here's this guy, and he sins terribly. Here's this guy, and he serves as the king of Israel. Here's this guy, now he dies at a ripe old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And his son Solomon reigned in his place. What God said would happen, happened. 
He said, you know what, you'll have a son and he will, he will exist as king and he will reign as king. He says, when David passed away, ripe in years, his son Solomon reigned in his place. Now, I want you to keep moving with me in the story. Um, that is the truth. The king is, is from the lineage of David. And he says, there's going to be a king on the throne that will continue in the lineage of, of David. And then there's an added turn in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end, listen to this, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. Now I want you to see what's happened here. He says, David, I'm making you a promise and you're going to have a descendant and your descendant will be the king. And not only that, your descendant after the descendant, they will reign as king. Well, now the word of God spoken to the prophet Isaiah says this, the Messiah. The Savior, the anointed one of God. Isaiah says the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mediator, the one that will go between for sinful people and a holy God. Not only will he be the king, and Isaiah says now he will be the Messiah. He will be the Christ. He will be in the house of David. He will be a king in the line of David. The throne that was established that would last forever is now established forever in this Messiah, in this Christ. Now, that's huge. Hundreds of years have passed. There's going to be a king, and the king will always reign. Now, Isaiah says, the king will not only reign, he will be the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah sent from God. Same person. The Messiah is going to be the king. Same person out of the line of David. Same person will sit on that throne. Now, let me move you forward a couple more hundred years, about 600 more years. Listen to this. And now in those days, Luke chapter 2, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Augustus says, we're going to count the people in our kingdom. We're going to take a, a, a census. You're going to go back to your hometown where the role of your family is, and they will count you there. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. He goes back to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he is the house and the lineage of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping flock, watch over the flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Listen to this. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Try to, try to picture the flow of this. God says to, to David, you will have a son, and that son will be king. And after that son, you'll have many sons, and those sons will reign as king. Isaiah comes along and says that king will be in that line. That king one day will be the, the Savior, the Messiah sent from God. All those years later, there was a lady named Ruth. And Ruth had a grandson. And her grandson was named Jesse. Jesse lived in Bethlehem. Jesse had a son there in Bethlehem, a family that raised sheep, and his son was named David. The city of David, his hometown is Bethlehem. And then you move forward 700 more years from Isaiah, and all of those years later in this little village in Bethlehem, in the city of David, the home of Jesse, the, the, the descendants of Ruth, a king is born. Now, I want you to see this. The greatest thing about David, and I think we've seen it in all these guys that we've looked at, the greatest thing in David was not the victory that he had, was not the works that he did. The greatest thing of David was not the repentance of his heart. What a, what a great thing that is. The, the greatest thing of David was not the faith of David. The greatest thing of David is not the example of knowing where to go back when you mess up and sin, just like David did. Listen to me. The greatest thing about David is that he is a sinner, that he needs a Savior, and he turns and he looks to God for that Savior. He looks to God for the remedy for his sin. Oh, God, he says, that you would cleanse me, that you would wash me, that I would be whiter than snow. Oh, that you would be gracious and forgive my sin, my sin that is ever before me. The greatest thing, listen to me, the greatest thing about David has absolutely nothing to do with David. But rather the greatest thing about David is in the grace of God, in the faithfulness of God, as he said it would be, as he promised it would be, from David comes a king. From David comes a descendant. And that descendant is our Savior. Listen, as, as sure as I stand here today, 2,000 years ago, in the first hometown of an unlikely king, King David, there is the birth of the greatest king, King Jesus. And I want to tell you this today. David needed a savior. David looked to God for a savior. We need a savior. If we are wise, we will look to God for our savior. And I want to tell you the greatest thing of this story is this. We have our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have our Savior, Jesus Christ. We stand here, we're headed into the Christmas season. Listen, we have our Savior, Jesus Christ. The hope for sinners, Jesus. Whatever you've done, wherever you've gone, however far you've walked, listen, our hope is the same hope of David. 
We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. Glad you're here. Let me ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for, for you. And I see this profound salvation. I know only, only a God could take pieces hundreds of years apart and run, it, and run it through people that were hopeless, run it through people that are sinful, run it through people that went their own way, and yet bring that, that plan to perfect fruition in Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for the hope that we have in a, in a reigning king that forever has been established. The king won't ever be, the, 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 the throne won't ever be empty. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm thankful that, that we have peace in Christ, forgiveness in Christ. Lord, I pray as we head into these month, this month looking at Christmas that we would be reminded that we have our Savior in Jesus. Lord, help us to realize that. Help us to grasp that. Help us to tell others of that, to spread that, that we have our Savior and His name is Jesus. Lord, we worship you today. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.